The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 24th chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, About that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you all to be seated. So, as promised, this was not a story of cute babies. This was not a story of shepherds just eagerly anticipating, finally seeing the Christ child. This is a story of warning. Keep awake, for you don't know when the Son of Man is going to come. You know, in in some ways, it reminds me of another eschatological event that I wait for every year. And that's the Carolina Clemson game. It's, it's almost as if after a 40-game win streak, Clemson might have been able to sit back on their haunches and expect to beat Carolina. But no, they did not know when the Gamecocks were going to come and own Death Valley. And so for the next year, I, I get to pick on my brother and sister-in-law who both went to Clemson. And my wife and I both went to South Carolina. In fact, uh, I'll I'll also say that one of the laments I had during this game, other than Gamecock football requires a strong heart, was uh, that I realized that in New England, there's so much pro ball, and y'all are not inducted into the one true football. And and so I, I made a pact with my bride that we would try to introduce us to college football. Okay, so so this sounds like a strange way to introduce Advent, doesn't it? It is, unless you're a Gamecock fan. But it's, it's also an interesting way to come at it, even if you don't follow football at all, which typically I really don't, Lauren's the one who does. It's interesting because there is a lot that as I watch the game, I know that I don't understand. I know the ball needs to go forward. I know that kicking the ball is not as preferable as catching the ball or running the ball unless you're kicking it off. I know that in the end zone, you get six, and then you kick one, and other than that, I just repeat what Lauren says. And what Jesus is essentially saying in this is the same thing that Jesus says every time he talks about the time when the the kingdom of God will come, the time when the Son of Man will return, the time when all of our hopes and all of our dreams for a world that is transformed from this place where there is sickness, pain, and death, from this place where there is war and hunger and violence, from this place where we see time and time again the unfair ways that the poor are kept poor and the sick are kept sick, and somehow the rich continue to get rich, which are all things that the kingdom of God is concerned with. And Jesus repeatedly says, 
you only know part of the story. And there are going to be a lot of people who will try to tell you what this story really is and how everything's going to end. But more than this idea of one will be working and one will be taken, one will be sitting and another will be taken, this sort of popularized rapture idea that comes in modern culture, what I, what I think Jesus is really trying to say isn't simply that we don't understand how the kingdom of God operates. And more than that, we have no idea of anticipating what God's mercy and judgment will look like because we always underestimate the love and grace of God and overestimate God's wrath. What I think Jesus is telling us is don't get so caught up in the hype about what might happen. Don't get so caught up in trying to figure out how things are going to work. Don't get so caught up in thinking that you have to know how things are going to work out because there are always things that are going to surprise us. And that's where I think we, we get to the part of the text where Jesus says if the homeowner had known when the thief was going to break in, they would have been prepared. But there are things that we can do to be prepared. And, and I'm not talking about the, you know, the five simple things we can do to guarantee we inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about some special prayer that comes on the back of a cartoon flame pamphlet that we find in the, in the public restroom or that someone hands out to us on the street. I'm not, I'm not talking about all the moralistic kinds of things that we get into where we say that somehow living life as a follower of Jesus boils down to being a nice person or a good person or any of the rest of it. What I'm saying is this. The grace of God is always a mystery. We never know the day or the hour of a lot of things. You know, even though we have predictions about when children are born, whenever that moment comes, it's always surprising. And I might, I might include even during a C-section, because I have to tell you, Mom seems to be constantly surprised by me from time to time. And, and this is the message we get in Advent. We are waiting and we are expecting, we are hoping and we are watching, we are living our lives in ways that somehow anticipates the coming of the kingdom of God. And part of the message I was going to deliver last week is that the more we live our lives in anticipation of this, the more practice we have when it comes to us. And it's not saying we better be good like Santa Claus or else, but it's saying that part of living into the grace of God and the hope of God and the hope of God's kingdom is living lives that mirror as closely as we can the values that come from loving and being loved by God. Because being loved by God teaches us that love is not something that comes only with those who love us back. But in the same way, Jesus offered no words of condemnation to either of the thieves on the cross, but did offer words of hope to the one who did not deride him. We hear God's word speak in our hearts, where sometimes we wonder how in a world where we are capable of all things, when we say a confession week in, week out, that sometimes convicts us a lot harder than it does other weeks, how is it that we can ever feel like we are ready enough how is it that we can ever feel like we've been prepared enough? And even though I know all of you all have probably completed your Christmas shopping, 
There are those of us who no matter how much time we know we have, will be out there on December 24th because we realize we've wasted the other 364 days. And that's what this grace is about. This grace is the grace of a God who sees us, knows us, knows that we can do both good and evil. And the plan of God includes this. God sees us and knows us for who we are and loves us. The, the grace of Advent is this. Jesus speaks to the crowds of people who, will, who both love him and will ultimately reject him. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. People who by the 24th chapter in Matthew have been arguing about which one of them is the greatest, which one should sit at his right hand, which one of them can do the most deeds of power, which one of them is really the best. The whole book of Matthew and every other gospel book there is. And still Jesus continues to love and teach and guide and prepare and befriend the disciples, even knowing who they are and what they're capable of in both their good parts and their bad parts. And in a world where sometimes we can be so disappointed, both by ourselves and those people around us, the good news is the one for whom we wait is the one who sees us in our fullness and loves us anyway, even in those moments when we don't know how to love ourselves. Because there are those moments where we look around and as Opus said, we see the enemy and it is us. We find that we are the ones ransacking our own houses. And in those moments, that is the time when we see most of all the greatest grace possible, the God who loves us even when we can't love ourselves. And uh, I, I started out with, with something that was really fun for me, the joy of the gay cop defeat of Clemson, but I have to tell you, God did not abandon Clemson either. God is with them in their, in their suffering. The same way that God is with us in our suffering, a lot of other games during the year. And in the same way that God is with all of us, both in our times of joy and our times of sorrow, our, our times of plenty and want, in sickness and in health. God is not just the God who bears us up in our sufferings. God is also the one who stands beside us in our times of joy as well. Amen.